0: Property Experience. Our hosts, Zarko Jopic and Anna Porter, will take you behind the curtain of the property market
1: Australia-wide. Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Property Experience podcast. And as always on the Property Experience podcast, today's all about giving you the benefit of smart people who are in this room. And it's all about collecting the information and knowledge you need to have an exceptional property experience. My co-host today is Anna Porter. Back again. Great to see you, Anna. And our special guest today is David Ryman from First Street Home Loans. Welcome, David. Nice to be here. Now, we're going to get to brass tacks today and we're going to talk about what everyone comes up with when they talk to a mortgage or finance broker. They ask about rate. And people say, what's the lowest rate I can get for this scenario? What's your lowest rate? Rates, 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 rates. Everyone's talking rates. Everyone wants to know what the lowest rates are. But as we're going to talk about, it's not necessarily all about rates. Asking a broker what their lowest rate is is like asking a whiskey distiller what is their highest alcohol content whiskey. Doesn't mean it's a good whiskey. <laughs> if is it's, that a problem? <laughs> doesn't mean it's a good whiskey if it's high in alcohol. It means it might not be right for you. And just like some home loans that have a low rate may not be right for you. However, let's start with these crazy low rates that we see advertised, David. Who can get these low rates? Who are these low rates pitched at?
2: Oh, look, it's that's a, it's a sliding scale for a lot of people. Um, yeah. And to your point... It is a very common question that brokers get asked, Mm. rate, rate, rate. And uh, our job is more educational piece to sort of break it down for people to say, well, it's about getting a good interest rate, a very competitive interest rate, but not necessarily the best because whatever home loan rate you get today, you Google it a month from now, there's probably a better one next month as well, right? Depending on what's going on. But from a bank's perspective, uh, to get the lowest rate that's for purchasing a home, a sub-80% LVR and uh-huh. principal and interest payments. That's pretty much the sweet spot for most banks these days. So for
0: the slow kids in the back of the room,
2: mm-hmm. bank,
0: LVR stands for?
2: Loan to value ratio. Excellent. So whatever the value of your loan is versus the value of your property, it's a pro- like a ratio and that, that's what they work out. Anything under 80%, that's probably the sweet spot for all lenders.
1: So if you've got a big deposit, you're not borrowing that much and it's a really risk-free property... Mm -hmm. they're going to give you these crazy low rates. Correct.
2: But there's always more to the equation. Yeah. If you're self-employed and there's certain things that that some lenders won't touch. Okay. So more often than not, if you you jump online and and see these dirt cheap rates, um, especially from the online lenders, a lot of them are targeted to your more what's called a vanilla deal, which is someone with that 20% deposit and enough money to cover the stamp duty who's a paid employee – Who's a really simple case for a bank? Once you start stepping outside of that, which to be fair, don't exist a whole lot of the time because everyone's Mm. situation is very different. Um, Yeah, there's a you have to look at different options for sure.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting term, vanilla deal, because it's actually not as common as vanilla the flavour. Like it's more (laughs) you really should be called unicorn deal (laughs) because you know people have seen them but they're not seeing them live. So have asked
2: most brokers in the last 6 to 12 months post the Royal Commission. Yeah, finding a
1: unicorn can be tough these days. Absolutely, so, yeah. absolutely. So we've talked about who can get these advertised rates. So the flip side of that question is who can't? Is it pretty much anyone who's not a unicorn?
2: Uh, yeah, well, look, it's it's not about who can't. Like they, they, There are so many different lenders in the Australian mortgage market that there mm. are options or everywhere. Yes. And as I said, it's, it's not necessarily about getting the best rate. It's having a very competitive one based on your situation. Okay. And that's the beauty of, I suppose, using a mortgage broker is that we have a wide access or a wide range of lenders we can choose from. Yes. So we take the clients through and... To be fair, it's not always about finding, like I said, the interest rate. It's about saying, well, what's your situation? And then you sort of funnel down the, the choice of lenders for the borrower mm. and then you give them the best option from there because at the end of the day, it's probably more important to get a home loan approved along the
1: path of least resistance rather than trying to chase down the best rate. Absolutely. I often say a mortgage broker's value and a finance broker's value is about helping you, the borrower, get the right money in the right place at the right time. Correct. So the right money is not necessarily the lowest rate. The right place, you need it there at settlement because mm-hmm. having someone who's going to give you a low rate but you've got to wait three months to get it approved is not going to help either. And then the the right time is all about what does this look like long term? Yeah, Structuring correct. comes into this, doesn't it, David? Correct. And look, it's a very emotional and stressful period for
2: people when they borrow money, okay. whether it's buying a home or, or even refinancing a loan. Um, if you add on the, the sort of trying to chase down a deal that may not come to fruition at the right time, just piles it on even more. So okay. for us, again, it's about saying, well, let's set it up and get it, make it sure it's competitive. Yes. Uh, and then, you know, go from there.
0: I remember about uh, maybe seven or eight years ago, perhaps Bank West came out with this ridiculous deal, lowest interest rates you've seen for a while. Mm. But they were asking people to take four or five months to settle a deal. And we're thinking, who's going to wait four or five months? For a settlement, like the yes. process was taking so long. I think they weren't picking up applications for six to eight weeks. It was ridiculous.
2: Yeah, so that's probably a, an issue facing some brokers now as the pipeline's getting clogged. So, yes, with um, some lenders. It, well, if a, if a lender comes out with an ultra-sharp rate and then everybody jumps on it, mm. Mm. The, the the pipeline gets clogged up, the bank doesn't necessarily put on additional assessors, so you, your, t- your time frame starts to blow out. Yeah. And so for a client who's looking to buy a, a first home or even a property, you say to them, guys – don't go there because it's going to be a really horrible journey. Yeah. Let's just go to the other another option here. Yeah, it might be five basis points more or something, different, but you'll have a much better journey yeah. on this path because you'll be able to negotiate at the right time. You'll feel confident at the right time. And us as brokers will be able to instill confidence in you. There's, there's
1: a bank supporting you along the way. So there's an example where the loan structure is more important than rate. What other times do you have to... When you sit down with clients, you get right out of the way mm. and you start to talk about structure. What are things pe- consumers and borrowers don't know about in terms of loan structure and that comes out in these conversations you have with your borrowers, David? Yeah, well,
2: right now is probably very timely for that because the best rate you will get right now is a fixed rate. Okay. So basically last year uh, in the height of covid RBA cut rates twice, right? Yeah. Not very many banks passed on any rate reduction on their variable rate loans. Okay. Hardly any of them. Yes. At the same time, the RBA introduced a funding facility for banks to go to, Mm. and it's now cost banks 0.1 of a percent to borrow money from the RBA. Okay. So, they drastically reduced all their fixed rates, right? So, So if you Google best rate today, it was likely going to be a fixed rate. Okay. However, um, there are restrictions with fixed rate loans. What so are these restrictions? You're talking about. One of about? the major ones is there's uh, you can limitations on making additional repayments. Okay. Right? So if you've got a good sort of solid income or you're a self employed person, and you're buying a property and you think, well, I'm going to take this loan out, and I'm going to try and pay it down as quick as possible, there are restrictions on doing that on a fixed rate. Okay. And if you if you if you run into an issue and you want to pay more, you have to sometimes pay what's called a break fee. Oh, right. So that's when structure becomes important because you say, guys, don't fix the entire loan because if you want to pay it off quicker, there's going to be a problem with that. Mm. So that's why through conversations with brokers, we say, how about we split it up, have a portion of it fixed, a portion of a variable so you have the best of both worlds. How, how often do people take that split option up? Right now, it would be one of the most popular structures really? in my 10 years of mortgage broking, purely because, you know your fixed rates are starting with 1% these days, yes. you know what I mean? So, you know, I always go back to my parents talking about the good old days of 18%. Mm-hmm. There's now a one in front of them. Yeah. Um, they're thinking, well, that's fantastic. How much lower can it go? We had a worldwide pandemic. Is, you know, is there any other hurdles coming? They think that the fixed rates are pretty low right now. So you'll probably see most of our clients are fixing anywhere from half to two-thirds
1: of their loans away at the moment for one to four years and having the rest in variable gives you the uh, flexibility to pay the variable part down yeah, as much correct. as you like but there's still this fixed part yeah correct in at a lower I so ask
2: a lot of people now is there more upside or downside on interest rates and most people feel that given where we are the world's been through the last 12 to 18 months this is probably the bottom for yes. australia at the moment given the the rba is lending it to people at 0.1 of a cent you can't get money cheaper anywhere else yeah. like that so um yeah, that's why people are taking that fixed portion. They're borrowing sort of higher levels as well, so okay. they're sort of being, you know, entering into bigger loan amounts as well. And it gives them comfort to know that for a period of time, that that is the actual repayment. It's not going to change during that fixed term.
0: And those break fees that you talked about, they can be quite exorbitant. I know over the years, I've broken some some loans there. I've moved stuff around, paid thousand dollars which is nothing Mm. but about two years ago we sold a property might not even been two years ago how about that we sold a property and broke a loan with one of the big banks twelve thousand dollars in break fee it was exorbitant and you know i'm in i'm in the property sector i know to look for stuff like that but i think i just got you know a bit complacent with i've paid break fees before it's a thousand or two thousand dollars maybe three at worst twelve grand was a
2: big chunk of money
1: big hit yeah, oh, oh,
0: for sure. For <laughs> My sure. husband was very unimpressed that I missed that one.
2: <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing about structure as well. We have to this is the, again the educational piece with borrowers. We have to sort of take them through and say, "Guys, you need to set it up for what's right for you today. You don't know what's going to be coming in yeah. a year or two's time." So to your point Anna, when you fixed your loan, it was probably a competitive rate. So you yes. said that yeah, let's do it. We don't it looks sounds all good. And then either things change or opportunities present and you want to make changes and those break fees can be quite nasty. We've had we've had clients with break fees up to about fifty thousand yeah. dollars.
0: Well we sold and we'd never planned on doing that, but our circumstances yes. changed and yep. suddenly so it was a big whack of money to exit that that property and yeah, But still yeah,
1: selling was still better than not
0: It was because our circumstances had changed. Yeah. So we had we had a decision to make that was a lifestyle decision. Yes. Um but yeah, my husband still doesn't like me talking about that, Bill. <laughs> so, yeah.
2: <it's> uh, <laughs> yeah, look, it, it's definitely something that it, you need to be mindful of for sure, especially when you fix loans. So, again, that's it's about sort of taking clients through their expectations about not only a loan today, but this is thing's going to be living with you. When you sign a contract, it says 30 years on it most of yeah. the time. So, it's something that you need to look forward to and think about what your family's going to be like, what your plans are going to be like, all that sort of stuff when you structure a loan. Mm. So fixed rate take-up has increased, David, you saying? Massively. I Wh- think it'd be one of the most popular products that banks are offering right now.
1: What other pieces of wisdom would you like to pass on in terms of fixed loans, since we're talking about fixed loans right oh, now?
2: Look, I, th- I suppose fixed loans, are. it's not also about trying to pick the bottom of an interest rate market because it's it's near impossible, right? No one I've met can accurately predict them outside of six months, right? So, and you just never know what the world's going to throw at you, you know? If Mm. we were fast forward a year ago, we didn't know what the last, you know, 12 months was going to be like for everybody around the world. So, it's all about, I say, take away that unknown and do what's right for you and your family so if you look at and say this is the most amount of money we've ever borrowed before Mm. how about we fix a large portion of it because we've done our numbers we've done our budget we know if that's going to be our repayment for the next two or three years yes we're safe we're comfortable with that turn the tv off forget about interest rates because all you need to do is then have enjoy your time with your family make the repayments for the period and then reassess in two or three years time yeah Um, but also understand that yeah, there's, it's, there's a conversation there about how to structure a loan appropriately because you don't want to run into issues, which I've got clients who have it right now, is they've okay. got all this surplus cash. Yes. They can't put it into the loan. So they've got savings rates at half a percent. If you're lucky in a bank account, mm. if they put the money into the loan, they get hit with the break fee. Yeah. That's a situation you don't want to get caught in too often.
0: Well, that's a conversation I just had with my lender. We went through and fixed a few rates, not not for as long a period as Mm -hmm. I have in the past Uh, but we had a big amount of cash in one account and the conversation I had with the lender was well will I lose my offset Mm. if I fix this and they said yeah you will I said well then we need to keep one of them variable so I can retain that offset because right now I'm paying zero interest on that loan it would have been financial suicide to fix that because then that wouldn't have offset and I would have paid interest when I otherwise don't so and that money's going to be there for a little while because we're using it for a reno down the track so
2: yeah so most lenders won't offer offset accounts linked to fixed rates so if offset's a really important thing for you. Mm. Um, Most lenders will not offer that. There are some that do. Uh, And again, a conversation with the client to say what's important to you. They'd say, I'd like to fix and have an offset account. Well, then that funnel sort of thing, you go back and say, oh, these are the lenders that offer it. It is not the best rate, right? But it gives you what you need um, so again, it's but not how about how important interest is the rate.
0: rate if you're 100% offsetting. Like Correct. They so, so said, "Oh, Ex- your rate's going to be a percent and a half higher." I said, "I'm I'm offsetting at 100%. I don't pay interest yeah. on that line. So
1: your real your driver then is flexibility in that yeah, um, yeah. situation, um, Anna.
0: We've talked a little bit about the things that can change the mechanisms mechanisms of interest rates when it comes to the client's circumstances, the property itself, um, in terms of whether it's a residential construction loan perhaps they're a bit different again when you're building something you get mm-hmm. a different type of loan product when you're doing a development you get a different type of loan product when you're doing a commercial purchase you get a different type of loan product where does the interest rate mechanism sit in those are they all the same are you going to get a, a something with a two in front of it for all of those
2: well, well yeah look it's look there's different divisions of the bank right so if you're in the residential world it's very much a sort of off the shelf sort of setup where it's quite obvious it's advertised this is the interest rate um, it's it's really well easy to find online all that sort of stuff and the process is very sort of mechanical in that regard mm. it's it's easy to do it's a carded um, rate it's, it's a carded rate exactly right. you know what you're getting yeah and if you want to for instance do a sort of a simple residential development which would be maybe a knockdown rebuild okay. or, a, or a bigger sort of renovation to your home um, that would fall under most banks construction policies and okay. the interest rates are no different if you do a construction loan versus a Typical home loan yeah, with right. most lenders. Yeah. Um, there's some structural, there's some sort of rules during the construction phase that they that you only have to pay interest only throughout the construction phase. But as a whole, interest rates are very much the same. When you step out of the residential world into commercial, yes. um, it's all based on risk, right? So the uh, bank okay. will assess your risk based on what type of borrower you are, how much money you're putting in, where the property is, what type of property, what type you. Property building, all that sort of stuff. So, and that is a very much a a a different kettle of fish. Where you know you you move into commercial banking, where Mm. the basically the the bankers are the ones that decide the offers and the types of loan, the rates you will get based on your profile and what you're trying to do.
0: Right. So I can't walk up to my my big four bank uh, with a commercial property or a you know a development of fifteen units and expect to get a residential.
2: Uh, ah, look right. well not, not initially it won't be quoted up front it's very much you'll give us all your information let's do the feasibility on it let's run through everything look they're and really competitive no. i don't think <laughs> that yeah i don't think the sp- the spreads now are not as wide as what they probably would have been 10 years ago so you can still get commercial money sort of you know around mid twos even yeah. low twos and even i've even heard of lower thing lower rates than that just because at different lenders, that certain bankers have certain DUA over certain deals, right? So it's very much a case-by-case case basis.
0: So if I want to build a duplex, this is one we get all the time, that mm-hmm. good old duplex, everyone's going to cut their Sydney block in half. Yep. Because no That'll axe it up. Yep, no one else can afford anything else for the kids anymore. So mm-hmm. kids and granny out the back, family out the front. Mm-hmm. Is a duplex considered a residential style loan? Would that come in under the sort of rates that a residential broker would be able to speak with you about yeah. or you're now tipping into sort of something different again no
2: i think a, a duplex is considered sort of two dwellings on one lot so that would definitely fall in the resi space um
0: because that can be like w- we do feasibility analysis a lot of you know single builds duplexes through to like i looked at a 170 million dollar project recently we did analysis on for someone yeah wow yeah luckily luckily i'm a qualified valuer i would have really struggled with that mm. um, and with that sometimes the, the there's sometimes such a slim margin in these smaller projects that things like interest rate can make a significant difference to the viability or profitability of these projects. So, you know, if you're yes, getting definitely. a rate that just doesn't work and you're carrying that over the vacant land, then over the construction period, that can be the difference between doing a project and not doing a project, especially yes. when the margins are tight.
2: Oh, for sure. Especially if, like, if you're like the mum and dad taking it on where you've got to pay the builder the margins to carry, mm. to build it for you. Um, you've got to pay like I said, carry the costs of not only the existing loan on the property but the new, you know, million-dollar-plus development loan, um, they're the things you need to add up because people quickly forget that sort of stuff when, you know, when they – they buy and build and sell and they think, oh, and I bought it for a million, sold it for two, I made a million bucks. You go, whoa, 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 let's go through and <laughs> yeah, yeah. rip out some of the one. numbers in here. <laughs> yeah. yeah, So that feasibility is s- really important.
0: And structure, I'd imagine, would be critical in that, whether you're going to retain one, sell them both, hold them as to what loan you have at the other end, as to the tax implications of how those loans are structured, I would imagine.
2: Yeah, correct. There's not only, yeah, that the cost as well, but that, like you said, the structural side of things because generally... When you're building something like that, you, you, it's it's a single dwelling and it gets built again into a single dwelling and then need to go to council and do subdivisions. Then you need, you know, the yes. bank needs to agree to split the loan if you want to push it to one side or the other side. Yeah,
0: because you might then not have the value in one of the properties alone. So you correct. might end up with a, a million and a half, $1.5 million loan at the end of it. And if you're only looking at one duplex, it mm. might only be worth $1.3. And then you're not going to stack up on value, no. are you? So you've
2: got to you put the sell. title
0: in your daughter's name who you've done it with and she doesn't have a job, she may not be able to borrow no. against that second dwelling.
2: Correct, and that's why the like, the pre-planning for stuff like that is really critical to sit down and say, "Hey guys, what are you trying to achieve and what's going to play out over the course of to be fair, probably last 2 years, you know, because once you come up with the idea, you then got to go source the property if you don't already own it. You then got to get approval through council to do the build, you then got to build it, you got to divide it, then you got to split loans up, so yes. You know, and you've got to be relying on your situation staying quite consistent through that whole period. So, there's a lot of there's there's risk in it, but there's also reward if you get it right. And, and you that's got the to, point.
1: And I suppose that risk versus reward conversation is determining if the juice is worth the squeeze. Is the journey <laughs> worth the result? Like, do you actually? Is it worth going through that process? Because you use that great analogy where people tend to oversimplify success. Mm. They say, I started with a million-dollar asset, I ended in t- with $2 million, I made a million. No, but you went through a long journey where that million dollars could have been accrued somewhere else.
2: Correct, yeah.
1: With a much easier process, yeah. or much easier structure. And it's the
2: risk side of things because you sort of say when you do the feasibility on them and you say, well, look, you're going to come out making $100,000. Yes. And you say, oh, you've got to go borrow $1.5 and carry this thing for two years. Is it worth the risk? Okay. People would say, well... No, it's not enough, you know. So, yeah, definitely have to find the right site, the right project, yeah. be in the right position financially to embark on something like that and you need professionals behind you because it's a it's a, it's a, a long journey and there's Speaking bumps along the way.
0: Speaking of professionals, now I want to just ask this question as a, as a general interest question and I've known you for a long time for full disclosure. So, you used to be a financial planner. I did. And now you're a mortgage broker.
2: Yep. I, well, I started at the same – planning and, and broking at the same time.
0: Right. So why why have you picked broking over planning? What was the attraction there? I'm just generally just questioning. Oh, question.
2: you, you haven't got enough time to go through <laughs> that one. It's a whole But, part. yeah. Oh, look, inevitably uh, – Scale is one thing. So you can't be everything to everyone along the way. Um, Mm. It was great at the beginning to sort of get the the foundations of financial advice and mortgage broking in one because you can talk to people on both sides of the fence, you might call it. Uh, But over time, the complexities of being an advisor um, in relation to, you know, we've been through royal commissions and and the, the compliance work, it just became a a decision where you had to say, I'm going to focus on one side of, you know, the the table, it's going to be planning or it's going to be broking. And mortgage broking is a great, great career if you get it right, because one, there's no fee involved. So we get paid by the banks, which is always nice to say, Hey, I'm going to help you buy your dream home or put you, you know, buy an investment property for your kids. It's not going to cost you a cent because we get paid by the banks. Um, it's a bit more transactional based where, you know, you, you're working with people for a period of sort of six months and then sort of goes on a bit of hiatus for a year or two and they come back once mm. their life's changed a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah, so you yeah,
0: close out the, yeah, the outcome. Yeah, it's a
2: start and a finish.
1: Exactly yeah. right. It's episodic.
2: Um, yeah. And, um, you know, I, I worked under two really good mortgage brokers who sort of naturally I drifted that way. So it was it was easy decision in the end um, because – Financial planning is a tough game this 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 now because, given the you know it was a very old school structure with you know hidden commissions in certain products and um, people losing money and you know bad advice and you know you've got trawled through the media last year with what happened at certain institutions. So yes. well, the model
0: protected the ones that were giving bad advice and didn't help the consumer differentiate between the ones that were giving good and. Correct, correct, exactly the changes right. came through.
2: Yeah, exactly. And and um, it's just a different model and a different beast if, if you want to be a planner these days. And um, I'm well, The guys were
0: always doing the right thing and now being penalised. Correct. And the guys who are doing the bad stuff are probably just finding smarter ways to do the bad stuff.
2: Well, that's like any <laughs> industry. There's always a couple of bad eggs in everything. Mm. Um, and, you know, when the regulation comes down to try to weed them out, it's
1: everybody who has got to sort of jump on board and, yeah. and improve, so… So we talked before about rate, and rate's often top of mind for a lot of people, and they're coming with the headline item, I want to know about rate. And you sit down and you want to impart that knowledge, you want to take them on that educational journey, you want to share with them, it's more than just about rate. When they've got an existing facility, not they're looking to do something new in terms of a new build like we talked about before, but it's a, they've got an existing facility, they're concerned about rate, where how do you have that conversation with the client on the fork in the road, whether it's a reprice or whether it's a refinance? Because I understand, David, they are two very different things, a reprice and a refinance.
2: Yeah, very different and a lot more involved in a refinance than a repricing. So what a repricing basically means you're an existing client of a bank, yes. you've got a home loan there, and you might be a year or two or three into the loan. Um At our business at First Street, we're touching base with everyone annually on the anniversary of their loan to say, hey, guys, what's going on in your life? Let's have a look at what type of interest rate you have. Okay. Because over time, interest rates change, right? Pending, they're not fixed, but over time rates change. Banks make decisions, RBA makes decisions, all that sort of stuff. So your interest rate will generally fluctuate up or down depending on what's going on in the world. Mm. Um, So over time, as I said, we'll go back to our clients and say, hey, let us know what your rate is. Let's go back to the bank to see if we can get you a better deal. And banks want to retain clients. It's very expensive to bring on board new clients all the time. So when you can retain them, that's, that's a good outcome. So more often than not, if the client didn't need any more money, or didn't wasn't going to go and do anything drastic like you said. Yes, it's about going to the bank and saying, "Can you give us a better deal?" Okay. Uh, and there are channels for brokers to go to banks. Yes. And there's ways for clients to go to banks. Okay. And put simply, if you go to that bank and they say, "Oh, yeah, we're going to give you a better loan," because existing borrowers don't always get what new borrowers mm, get, right? They don't. They don't yeah. Have to dangle the carrot for the new people. If you can get them back to what's deemed to be a competitive interest rate. And you compare that rate or those repayments to what what a, a refine option might, option might be. And say they're going to save $50 a month, I would say to my clients, do you really want to turn your life upside down? Go through a refinance, change all your bank accounts again for $50 bucks a month. Yes. And most of them will say, absolutely not. I got direct debits everywhere. Yeah. I'm happy to leave it as is. That's a competitive offer. Let's stay there. If for some instance the bank doesn't want to play ball and they're not in the market. Well, that's when the refinance conversation comes mm. up because we can say to them, hey, they don't want to improve your interest rate for whatever reason. And more often than not, you won't find out that reason. You say, listen, if we move you to another provider, this would save you $250 a month. And they go, oh, that's you know, $2,500, $3,000 yeah. a year. Yeah, That's a holiday. That's a big ticket. That's a lot of money. Let's
1: go through that process and, and change over. Plus, we can also add a layer of structuring flexibility, security, whatever the hot button is that they don't have with the existing lender.
2: Yeah, and exactly right. And uh, probably what's been the flavour of the month the last 12 months is a lot of the lenders are now offering what's called cash back for oh, refinances. Okay. So not only do you get a better deal on the interest rate, they're trying to entice people with physical cash to move over. Mm. Right. So a typical refinance of a loan might cost anywhere from $500 or $1,000 when you're adding discharge costs, government yeah. charges, that sort of thing. These, some of these banks are saying, we'll give you three dollars or $4,000 to bring your business over to us. Yeah. Not only a better interest rate, but actually cash in your bank account. Yeah. So they're very getting very competitive in that refinance market to try and grab share off one another. And, and I think it's very
1: important for borrowers, f- with the help of brokers like yourself, to sit down and actually look at what that $3,000 rebate actually means, because mm. someone's paying for that somewhere along the line.
2: Yeah, someone is. Yeah. Um,
1: but again, it's, it, as I said, oh, I try to
2: encourage people, if we can get the rate to what's a competitive market rate and they don't have to turn their world upside down, there's Absolutely. no point changing. Yeah. However, if they said, oh, Dave, we want to do a renovation for $100,000 or we need a new car or we need new yeah. money, we say we may as well go through the process and see what's available out mm. there because there could be significant savings
1: there. And that, and that's the thing. As, as much as a broker can help, a refinance is still not a pain-free process. I, I used to equate it like you've lost your wallet we now have to reconnect everything that you lost in your wallet with a new bank. Do you want to go through that process? Yeah, correct. And people start
2: get really entrenched in the way they manage their money. You know, so they've got their direct set debits set up. They know where, the fl- where it's all flowing. They're really comfortable with those structures. Then you've got to say, well, you've got to go contact 25 providers and get all those debits yeah. resorted out. They say it's not worth for that dollar. There's a dollar figure for everybody. It just depends on what that number is for you.
0: So for the average person who doesn't have a broker as good as you guys over at First Street, because I don't know that every broker would be calling their clients a year in to do that, to be honest. So great work. But for the average person whose broker isn't doing that sort of follow-up, I've heard, and this could be absolute rubbish, so I'm doing Mm -hmm. my little pub test here with it, that you can send your bank a, um, a discharge form to say you've taken the loan elsewhere and that gets you on the phone to the team that want to keep it and they don't want you to discharge it and that's when they'll start to really drop their pants on rates. Is that just an absolute furphy or is this an actual strategy that people can use?
2: It's a strategy I think that people have and will use for sure. So every bank has what's called a retention team. So in the examples, we could go back to try and reprice these loans and and they say, no, we're not doing anything. As soon as a discharge form hits their retention team and looks like they're leaving... They're on the phone pretty quickly to sort of say to the clients, hey, we thought you we saw that you want to leave us. Can we do anything to keep you? And it's a strategy used by some people because that's a that's a really surefire way of proving that you're gonna leave the bank by lodging your discharge form. Now I'm not encouraging everybody go sign discharge forms and (laughs) lodge them with your banks because they'll probably get discredited from most lenders. But You gotta have somewhere else to go. I'm sure people people have done that in the past because that is a that is the first indication
1: that you really are gonna leave.
2: Right. Yeah, it,
1: it, you'd almost treat that as a last resort. There are people at the existing lender that want to help you and they want to retain you before it gets to that retention team because you got to think of the discharge forms like a breakup letter. It's you saying, I don't love you anymore to the existing lender, I'm leaving. When and
0: someone may not love their bank, you'd know. Well, and like any breakup, <laughs> no. they,
1: they're going to beg and plead for you to stay. <laughs> So they're going to promise to water the plants. They're going to promise to put the toilet seat down. They'll promise everything under the sun. Will they do it or not? You don't know. But it's a last resort. You really want to go through the avenue, as David talked about, where you're engaging in dialogue. Dialogue is one thing. A threat to leave is probably your last resort. But you talked about the trends over the last 12 months and – Um, I know, Anna, you're quite interested in getting some insight from David on terms of what investment trends and and structuring in terms of investment he's seen over the last 12 months.
0: Yes, my favourite question. So when you would have seen a lot of investment strategies come across your desk from your financial planning days all the way through to your lending days or broking days, and and you've probably done some yourself and seen your friends do some Mm – Um, And you're in that age group where a lot of your friends would be probably more aggressive in their wealth accumulation stage of life. They're probably not sitting too passive at the moment. What strategies do you like? Is it the rent vesting? Is it the flipping? Is it the, you know, the cash flow assets, commercial, residential? What appeals to you... I know everyone has different strategies based on their needs, but what appeals to you, David Ryman, what appeals to you?
2: Oh, look, you're right. There are so many different strategies out there because people, no one lives the same life, especially from a financial point of view. We might all assume we do, but Mm. behind the scenes, we we get to see the ins and outs of people's financial affairs. No one is generally the same. So every strategy and situation has to be treated individually. Um, And I also always try to sort of, you know, remind people that it's not about, you know, the current affair story with the guy who owns 70 properties, right? (laughs) That's not what you need to do. It's all about what's right for you and your family based on what situation you're in, right? Um, And – for my generation, yeah, it's hard. Like I grew up on the eastern suburbs, right? So a lot of people can't afford to buy houses in the eastern suburbs anymore. So well, you
0: frame that was beautiful. It was really hard for us growing up. We grew up in the eastern I know.
2: suburbs. No, <laughs> so I said it's hard like for them now, we grew up right? In the country. It's Definitely not it's top one to percent of into the, the market, world. Yeah, so it was
0: a lovely upbringing, but hard to get into the market. Correct.
2: It's hard to get in the market. <laughs> so you sort of grew up in the family home, thinking I'd love to stay in the area, but people are saying, "Well, no, I've just been outpriced because mm. of how how expensive it is." So
0: if you want to stay where your friends and family are, there's there's a very big ent- point to leap over like what are we talking so for people that don't live in sydney listening to this how much would you have to spend to buy a decent place in the eastern suburbs
2: today oh nothing under 1.5 million It's a lot of money pretty much for a house if you want a house or you want to if you want a good apartment they're probably anywhere from sort of seven to a million, seven hundred 700 to a million yeah Yeah. which is hard yeah exactly right because you know some people can stay some people haven't and that's why there's been you know a lot of people have decided that you know moving north or south has become a really important thing for them um Mm. COVID has sort of run that home to people that can work from home and yeah. so they don't necessarily be in the city anymore. Um, but the strategy needs to tie in with what you're comfortable with, right? Because it's all well and good to say to people, oh, yeah, you should go you know, buy property everywhere and that's the way to go. But it's not always the answer property, you know? So it is a big part of a lot of people's strategies because they know it, they can see it, it's, underst- it's easy to relate to. Um, but you know, understanding that borrowing money is its a big undertaking, right? You actually owe someone a lot of money, a significant amount of money, mm. and you need to be able to understand that it's not going to go away after a year. It's going to, You're going to have it for a while. So you've got to forecast what your life's going to look like now and into the future and make sure that you're comfortable
1: with what it's going to cost to do that. Good answer. Very, very good advice, David. And as always on the Property Experience podcast, it's all about giving you the knowledge and the information you need to enjoy the property experience. Thank you very much for joining us today, David. Not a problem. Thank you very much for co-hosting today, Anna.
0: Always a pleasure, Zarko.
1: And thank you to the listener for listening today to this episode. Bye for now.
0: Thank you for joining us on another episode of The Property Experience. Stay tuned for more great content.